Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Allie Coplin, who was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis seven years ago at the age of 18. And since 2016, she's been rolling with no colon like the badass that she is. She's a pun aficionado, a cycling instructor, highly sarcastic, a legging connoisseur, and I am super excited to have her on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me, Allie, and welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. I'm so excited. I, um, man, I, I wrote that bio out and now I just have so many high standards to live <laughs> up to. You got to like, meet all of them. They're, they're due. It's in stone. It's written now. I know. <laughs> I can't delete any of it. <laughs> Once it's there, it's there. It is. My dad always said, read every, or believe everything you read on the internet because it's true. So I'm just- Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. So before we jump into how you've managed to keep such an incredible mind incredible mindset and that sense of humor all these years. Why don't you go ahead and start by sharing your ulcerative colitis story? Yeah, definitely. So um, I, ironically enough, I was like the most out of shape child ever. I like used to fake stomach aches to get out of running the mile. Like I just hated Aww. sweating. <laughs> um, so dance, dance revolution and hip hop were like my main sources of exercise. Um, but I did dance um, for a while. And when I was 17, I went to England. So I lived in Chicago at the time with my mom. And I went to England. Um, so the summer before my senior year of high school, and I had no idea what to expect. I was so excited. Like I just convinced myself I was going to fall in love with this beautiful British boy and, and never move back. So I get to England and day three I want to say of like this 10 day trip, I ended up um, destroying a public restroom at a Starbucks with my butthole. So I had no idea what was going on. I um, was so embarrassed because there was a line for the ladies bathroom. So I like threw some elbows, got into the men's bathroom and I just felt like I was like possessed. I don't know what happened. Um, it was like the first time this has really happened to me. Um, and so I came out of the bathroom and obviously a girl walking out of a men's bathroom was already a little iffy. And then just, it just smelled like freaking hell in there. I don't know. And it was just yeah. so embarrassing. So I was in this country that I'd never been to. Um, and we had gone from Cambridge, England to London for the day. And so the whole day was just me finding the bathroom. Like I was just in cold sweats and throwing up and, and just sick all day. I threw up on the bus ride home and we have photos of that day. And it's so weird that like we documented that day and that was the first day that I noticed something was wrong. So I ended up, I was supposed to be a study abroad program and I missed the first day of class. I went to the hospital. Um, luckily healthcare in England was free. 
So I didn't have Mm -hmm. to pay anything for that, but it was really, really scary. They put me on morphine. I had never um, experienced anything like that before. So it was really scary. Um, And then the director of the program said that I was just faking it. And um, within a few days after staying in my dorm room, um, just with the blinds shut and just throwing up for days on end, they ended up flying me home. Um, So we went straight to the emergency room and um, they just gave me fluids. They didn't really do anything. And eventually I saw a gastroenterologist who suspected it might be Crohn's, which I had never really heard of before. Um, And so I told some of my friends in high school, because I was like, yeah, something's wrong. Like I went to school that year, obviously dropped a little bit of weight. I don't remember the number exactly, but maybe like 10 or 15 pounds. And so the one thing they told me was like, oh yeah, Crohn's. So you're going to get holes in your stomach. And so from there I was like terrified. So we do my first colonoscopy that October. Um, So that's what, like eight years ago. Wow. Okay. Um, And the test came back and he said, you're clean as a whistle. And that just really pissed me off. I um, went the whole school year just on like three day water fasts and being told that I was faking sick and just getting really frustrated. And um, and how long how long was that colonoscopy after that episode, the first attack that you'd had in England? How how much time had passed? Yeah, so it was August was when I got sick, and then October, so that's about two months, two and a half months. Um, and so I was just really really frustrated. I was gluten-free. Like my mom had me on all of these different diets trying to figure out what was going on. And it was like clockwork every single time we had a math test, I would just have to poop my pants. So I just got to leave every time. And, mm-hmm. and for some reason they didn't think I was like cheating or anything on my math test, which I wouldn't anyway. But, um, <laughs> I was like, no, no, I'm just pooping my pants. So, um, fast forward. <laughs> you'd rather be cheating. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I would much rather be like writing the answers on my hand than crapping my brains out. Like who wouldn't? But, um, yeah. so I, would just get these nervous poops all the time. I would have to go like three, four times before school and then like go a couple times during school. And for me, it was like, I would watch these videos on YouTube and I saw these girls with ostomies and I was like, that will never happen to me. Like, that's not me. Like, obviously, like I don't have Crohn's. I said, I don't like, that's not my future. And so I ended up going through the end of the school year, um, just on and off, really, really frustrated, getting really depressed. And the last month of high school, I actually flew out to Arizona where my dad is and just worked at a rock climbing gym. We had the senior project thing. So I was staying at my dad's and I started getting sick again, where I would go to the emergency room at night and was just throwing everything up. And so I would wake up in the morning, take half a Percocet, go back to sleep, throw up and then go to work at two. And it was like clockwork. And so my dad got me in to see a GI out here. I'm in Arizona now. And he said, Mm -hmm. no, you just have a Jewish spastic colon. And I was like, oh, so that's like the medical term. Okay, cool. So I was like, yeah, you know. (laughs) Is that an actual medical term? Of course not. (laughs) I was like, cool. Where did he come up with that? that School, Like, come on, you get bat mitzvah, you get a spastic colon, you know, it's the whole thing. So, um. (laughs) So I was just, I was frustrated. Like I was just at the end of my rope. I will say I looked fantastic. Was I eating? No, of course not. But I mean, I was Mm -hmm. 18 and I was like ready to go off to college. And I was just like, I've never 
been this skinny before. Like, this is how I have to do it, apparently. And so it started to mess with my mind a lot with my relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I flew back to Arizona, or to Chicago to graduate high school. And I did an endocapsule test where it's you swallow this pill camera. And even that day, like the nurse said that she forgot to turn the camera on. So I was going to have to go back the next day and still fast and all this stuff. Um, ends up, she didn't know what she was doing. The camera was on. Um, so we did that mm. whole test. I flew back out to Arizona just to stay with my dad for another week or so. And when I was out here, um, I actually got a call from my GI. So it had been about 10 months after I'd graduated high or So I had graduated high school. And um, he just calls me up on the phone. I remember it was June 23rd, 2012. I was standing in my bathroom, ironically enough. Um, and he just mm-hmm. calls me up. He says, Allison, we have your test results and you have ulcerative colitis. And I was like, okay, cool. I, I knew it at this point because I Googled it so many times that I told my, my dad, like, I have colitis. And um, so mm-hmm. he proceeded to tell me, so we have a prescription. I believe it was either a Prezo or Asacol. It was one of the two. And he said, we have a prescription mm-hmm. for you. Just go ahead and pick it up and just take three a day and uh, call me if you need anything. And that was it. And so I was just about to go off to work at camp for the summer and then go off to school. And I had no idea what this disease was aside from what I had Googled and what I found on Tumblr because Tumblr was like the Instagram back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> and I had no idea. It, it was like I learned about um, – I forgot what it's called. It was like an anti-nausea medication. And mm-hmm. I, I just like started to connect with people and that's like I, – I have photos and all of these different things. But – he didn't tell me anything. He didn't tell me that this is a lifelong disease. He didn't tell me what could come with it. Um, And so, but for me, I was like, I have an answer. I'm not crazy. Like this is real. So um, I think from the, from the get go, like I've always had like more of the optimistic take of like, okay, like I have no idea what's going on, but I have a disease and this is real. Like I'm not making this up. This, this is legitimate and there's something I can do about it. Um, so that was kind of the, the diagnosis story. So it took about 10 months and, um, a camera pill to tell me that my insides were swollen. So the swollen colon came to be, we Mm -hmm. named him Colin (laughs) and, um, (laughs) it was, it was fun going off to college, um, with that because I remember my biggest fear, my, I, I shit you not, my biggest fear was getting an ostomy. I did not want to have stomach surgery. Mm-hmm. And I had never drank until I went to college. And so um, as you do, you just get very intoxicated and then drunk words or sober thoughts. So I called up this boy and I started crying and I said, I don't want stomach surgery. And he never called me again. And oh. I <laughs> Not, um, <laughs> not the best way to get a, a, a date. <laughs> no, I guess not. Try, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm working on that one. Um, no, so it was just trial and error through college. I didn't really tell a lot of my friends. I was in a sorority and they didn't really know what was going on. Did your symptoms um, subside at all with the, the medications at all? Or was it still just this kind of constant struggle to get back to a normalcy? Yeah. So I had cut out red meat 
and I cut out carbonation from my diet. I thought these two things and I'll be great. But you take out carbonation, you take out red meat, but you add an alcohol and it really doesn't do anything. So um, me and my friends, we call it the dads, the day after drinking shits, where mm-hmm. you just like, even if you don't drink, this is like what IBD feels like, where you just like, <laughs> you feel your soul leave your body. And so for a while, like, I honestly, I don't know if it was just that I had gone out drinking the night before or if it was my colitis or what it was. But um, freshman year, I was fine for the most part. Um, I would just take my maintenance meds and I was okay. I ended up having um, H. pylori at the end of the school year. So that's a bacterial infection that eats the lining of your stomach, which we thought was a flare up. So that was a fun like month where I dropped like 20 pounds in 10 Mm. days. And it was just, once again, like the whole weight loss aspect for me has always been really hard because Mm. you can work out and you can diet and nothing will happen. But then when you don't have to do anything and your body just rebels against you and then you drop weight like that, like it, it kind of takes a toll on your mental outlook on things of like, well, why do I have to do it in a healthy way? Yeah, it really is a mind game, especially Mm -hmm. when our society, we're just surrounded by how thin and beautiful and the Mm -hmm. magazines and everything. And it's this constant, we're almost as, as girls, we're almost just grown up with this mentality of, I always need to be on a diet or I need to be doing something. And there's this ideal number. And then you get this disease where just like you're saying, you'll work out like a maniac and diet and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden you get a flare up and it's like, well, there's the seven pounds gone. Yeah. It's like, I really want to lose three pounds. You're like, let me just not take my medication Mm -hmm. or something like that. And for me too, with my family, it was really, really difficult. Um, I don't really share this part as much, but um, part of my family, like they didn't really stick around very much until I started to look better. Um, Mm -hmm. So then they would offer to take me shopping and you look so good. Let's go do something. And it kind of like put even more of a mental strain on it of like, you are worthy now that you are sick. And now that you look good, like I could be like, I would just spend days on end, like in bed and I couldn't eat and I wouldn't do anything, but they want to spend time with me now. I'm worthy now because I'm, I look good. It doesn't matter how I feel. Um, so that was like a really, really big thing for me. Um, and then while all of this is happening, this is kind of when I started to get more into fitness. So, um, I learned that if you take three gym classes a semester, that counts as one general elective. So that was like, (laughs) so you coast through and get your advertising degrees. You take a lot of Zumba. So I (laughs) would You were what, 1920 at this point? Yeah. So it was, um, I think my first semester I took like Pilates and then I just wanted to keep doing it. So I would take like a Zumba and a boot camp and a hip hop. And then I would do another semester of like yoga and then like a body like conditioning and like more cardio. And like, so every, I would get credit to go to work out. Like it was, it was one of those things that I really enjoyed it. Um, and I just kind of started to understand like how strong I could actually be. And I really, really enjoy the feeling of being strong. Like I like being able to pick up heavy things and mm-hmm. I like feeling like a badass and I will grunt. Like I just do it. I am that girl. So mm-hmm. it, um, for me, it just, it, 
I tried not to let being sick get in the way of it. Sometimes, like, I would just think it, – it wouldn't even cross my mind, to be honest. Like, sometimes I would forget that I was sick and just, like, go. And other days it was, like, I can't do anything because I'm sick. So it was kind of, like, two different experiences in one where it just kind of depended on the day and what was going on with my colitis. Um, and – but for me, I really wanted to find a way to hit my sick weight in quotes um, in a healthy way without being sick. So that was kind of what got me to want to continue in the fitness realm. Um, I kick myself because I really feel like I should have studied to be like a personal trainer or something like maybe, I don't know, study fitness in college. But mm-hmm. instead, I learned how to Photoshop things onto <laughs> other things. Um, and so... Yeah, so that was like a long answer to a short question about my diagnosis and kind of <laughs> elbowing, <laughs> and, elbowing and then a little more. <laughs> yeah, you know, I like to word vomit. It's fine. <laughs> That's perfect. So tell me a little bit more about you're getting into college, all of this fitness, you're taking a lot of fitness classes. Did you notice mm-hmm. any improvement? I know you said you had some good days, some bad days. Did you notice any improvement with your symptoms? And then what kind of happened since then? Because since then you you had your ostomy, you had your surgeries. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about how that journey came to be and then take us to maybe where you're at now. Yeah, definitely. So I will say from ages like 17 through 20, I didn't even like the way I looked at fitness was more of like, I'm doing this because I want to get skinny. Like I didn't think about like how my symptoms were. I didn't have the most healthy approach with it. Um, It wasn't until my sophomore year when things started to get a little bit more intense for me. I had spent my spring break sophomore year in the hospital um, just with a really, really bad flare. I lived at school, which was two hours north of where my dad lives in Phoenix. And I remember him having to come up and pick me up from school and drive me straight to the hospital in Phoenix. So we spent two hours in the car of me just crying and rocking back and forth and him being so upset because he couldn't do anything. Um, So I spent a week in the hospital. And then when I got out, um, I decided I want to do a half marathon. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. And so I just, I decided that day, like I'm doing it. Because for me, it kind of clicked. That was the first time I had been, aside from the H. pylori with the infection, um, that my IBD, that my disease held me back and I physically could not do anything. And so once I got out, it kind of clicked of like, okay, now that I have that ability back, now that I have this gift back, I want to take advantage of it. And me running, walk, run, 13.1 miles is nothing compared to the amount of pain that my body inflicts on itself. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of where it started to take off for me, um, where I started to take it a lot more seriously. I started eating cleaner. Um, I started meal prepping and I was like walking everywhere and I was so active. Um, But my symptoms were still very, very bad. I ended up going on Humira that semester. Um, and just, it it was kind of one of those things where if I had, it it became a little bit unhealthy with my fitness where I would like spend two hours in the gym 
if I had like eaten too many chips the day before, like it had Mm -hmm. gotten to the point where like, I felt like my body was so out of control that the amount and the intensity that I could work out was the only thing that I had control of aside from me going to class every day and my grades. Um, And so for me, that was at first like the best in quote shape of my life. But in retrospect, I was sleeping three hours a night. I wasn't eating and I was going to the bathroom six times a night. Like I was so sick. And I don't know if it was just overworking my body that it didn't have the amount of time that it needed to just repair itself or what it was. Um, But physically, I was in great shape on the outside. On the inside, my body was in shambles. Um, Mm -hmm. And then so that summer, I went to work at the summer camp in Wisconsin that I had been working at um, when I first got diagnosed. And I ended up gaining a lot of weight. I gained, I don't know how much, but like you can see like side by sides of my face. Um, My moon face from prednisone was creeping back in and I wasn't as active over the summer. And I started, um, I got into my first relationship, which was really, really unhealthy. So my junior year of college, and this is kind of where the fitness side of things started to fade out a little bit. Um, And this Mm -hmm. is kind of where I stopped taking care of my body as much and um, so my junior year of college, I just started to gain and gain and gain. And, um, I was at the point where my colitis, I seemed like I was just at this baseline of like, I'm sick. Like I'm not okay. Like it was like, it wasn't like bad flare ups, but it just wasn't good on a consistent basis. Yeah. Kind of the constant everyday, just mm-hmm. miserable, but yeah. yet somehow like many of us, we just figure out a way to get through and usually by not eating <laughs> and yeah. Oh no. For me, it was the opposite. I was eating you know. everything, anything I saw. And I don't know if it was just the steroids I was on or um, the relationship. It. I was in. it was a lot. Yeah. Um, but I finished out my junior year of college and I just felt disgusting. I ended up staying in my college town for the summer. And that was one of the worst summers of my life. I was on like 60 milligrams of prednisone um, for months on end. So the depression that came with that, um, I, my back was covered in stretch stretch marks, my whole body I couldn't recognize. And this is when I personally started um, researching ostomies because Mm -hmm. I was kind of at that point in my life where I was like, I can't do this anymore. But um, the boyfriend that I was with at the time told me that if I got this surgery, nobody would ever love me. And so it was kind of like, okay, all right. Um, So it took me about six months to finally end that relationship. Um, Once I did, I started to look after my health a little bit more but I had gotten to another flare where I was um, seeing more blood in my stool. And this was in 2016. So I was, I just started my last semester of college and I ended up spending like two weeks on and off, like every few weeks in the hospital. And I ended up having to get my gallbladder taken out and doing a colonoscopy prep while you're in a flare is like oh. one of the worst things because you're just like forcing your body just to like hate you even more. And just the amount of blood that I saw and just pure exhaustion. And we have this photo of me like double fisting prep and apple juice. Mm. Um, but um, 
yeah, so that's when the doctors came in and just kind of sat down with me and said, we really think you should just consider the surgery at this point. And the surgery in my case would just be removing my entire colon and having and an ostomy and eventually a J pouch. Had your doctors talked with you about that surgery before? Cause you'd mentioned you were, you'd been researching it and looking into it. Is it something that your doctors had brought up before? And then this was kind of the the no, straw that broke it, the camel's back, the time to do it? or No, it was for me because even before my diagnosis, I knew what they were. I knew what ostomies were. Um, for me, it was something I was embarrassed of telling my doctors that I had researched because I didn't want them thinking I was like this hypochondriac that's like making it worse than it actually was. Um, so I was just afraid of like – them thinking, I don't know why I cared so much, to be honest, like, obviously, like, they had the same idea in mind. Um, But for me, I didn't want it to seem like I was doing too much research or thinking too much about this, even though it's my life, like, it's my health, it's my well being. Um, But my dad had no idea that I had been looking into this. He was so against it all. His mother had passed away from colorectal cancer. Um, so it was really a big part in our family of just, we're all, we all have something wrong with our intestines essentially. Um, and so my nurse in the hospital that I was at actually told me about my now surgeon who she had worked with him before and he's at Mayo Clinic and he's fantastic. I love him to bits and pieces. Um, and so I decided I would just drive down to Phoenix and meet him. So I um, spoke with him for a little bit. I brought my dad to the consult and it, that was in April. We booked the surgery in, I think it was June or July for August 8th. Um, and it just kind of took off from there. So I, my fitness at that point was gone. Like I wasn't, <laughs> there was no activity mm-hmm. in my life. Like I just, I couldn't do it. I was kind of living in the past of like, you know, like those dads that are like, yeah, I was like a a college football star. Like I was like, yeah, I did a half marathon. Like I just dwelled on that. And I was like, yeah, I'm active. But I was like stuffing my face with like Oreos and macaroni and cheese and like my safe foods were Mm -hmm. mashed potatoes and marshmallows. They're the only things that I could eat that wouldn't make me want to like rip my insides out like it was the only thing because it slowed everything down um yeah (laughs) tell me a little bit about your journey from there it sounds like since Mm -hmm. you had done a lot of research you were probably on board once the doctors finally brought up surgery so tell me a little bit about how that went if there was looking back even with all the research that you did is there anything that you wish you would have known before the surgery and then and then after that tell me a little bit about how you started the recovery process and then what got you back into your fitness lifestyle now yeah so for the so i we booked our surgery our surgery my surgery in three steps so for me as as weird as it sounds i was so excited i um was just excited to have a life back I, part of me was scared about having an ostomy just because it's so stigmatized. And I had family members tell me that I'm going to regret this decision. It's the biggest mistake I'm ever going to make. And they haven't Mm. spoken to me since. Um, So that was three years ago. Um, But for me, I was really excited. I had to kind of convince my dad 
to be on board with this, that I want my quality of life back. And me and my surgeon had talked about like, I'm at the end of my rope. Like I was 22 and I was just, I was over it. I didn't want to continue to put chemicals into my body um, and just alter my own internal chemistry. So, and I'm a very absolute thinker. So if something's Mm -hmm. not working, I will cut it out. Whether that's like dead hair, um, a really shitty boyfriend, or in this case, my Mm -hmm. organs, like I will just cut them out. Like, it's just not, I don't have time for it. Um, yeah. So for me, the first surgery, I kind of felt like a badass. Um, I had a really rough go. I ended up getting blood clots and spending way too much time in the hospital, but it allowed me to actually start to live like a 22 year old. So I eventually got a full-time job. I moved out of my dad's apartment. Um, and I, I still wasn't very active at this point, but I was able to like go out like active in sense of like going to the gym. Like I was going out and I was drinking Mm -hmm. and I was doing everything and I was the most confident I've ever been because of that bag, because I wasn't afraid of like crapping my pants in the store. And I just, I kind of felt like Mm -hmm. a superhuman and I was just like, dude, like I have a secret in my pants and I can also shit in my sleep. (laughs) Like I had so many little like, Mm -hmm. and just making poop jokes and just like you make the poop joke and some of your friends get it. So they think it's extra funny. And then other people just think poop is funny. So either way it's a win-win. So (laughs) I also really enjoy making people laugh. So for me, it was like, yes, I can do this. Um, and so then fast forward, I want to say it was like March of 2018 when I started to get into fitness again. So I had looked into just going to a spin class, like just randomly. And this is kind of where things started to pick up a bit more for me again. So I'd gone to this one studio. I fell in love with the style eventually got certified with my bag and I just felt so invincible and ended up getting a job on the side at this big, huge, they have like 18 locations in Arizona gym. And right after I get hired on, I go to see my doctor and this specific one, she's not my surgeon, but she's on our, my care team has like the worst bedside manner And basically sat me down and said, you have been on vacation for two years and you need to have your takedown. And for me, it was kind of like a big slap in my face of like, how could you say this? Like, this isn't an easy Mm -hmm. life. Like I was doing bag changes like two times a week and just supplies and just in the mental aspect of it, like it wasn't an easy thing. But for me, like I was feeling stronger mentally and physically because I was so active again and finally like feeling like myself. And I very reluctantly agreed to the surgery in the sense that like I wasn't as excited about this one as I was the first one. I knew that it would take two more steps. I knew that um, Mm -hmm. J pouches don't always um, work and sometimes they fail. And I had seen a lot of stories of people just being miserable and I was just so scared of, of giving up the life that I had. Um, and so I just remember sobbing with the weeks leading up to the surgery, Mm -hmm. just being so depressed and so scared. And it's weird because it's like last year, this time, now that I think about it, it happened on the 25th of October. 
Um, it's the 14th today. So it's like, I'm seeing it all in like my memories on like Facebook and Instagram. I'm like, Oh God. Um, and that recovery was actually the worst recovery I've ever had. I was sick for like six weeks. I dropped 30 pounds in two weeks and I couldn't stand. I couldn't eat. I couldn't walk. And I regretted everything. I was so apologetic. Um, just to my dad and my family and just missing out on everything because it was mm-hmm. a holiday season. I didn't get to go to Thanksgiving. I didn't get to do anything. Like uh, my boyfriend took amazing care of me, but I just felt like a burden for everyone. And it was the mental mind game of, I had never weighed this little in my adult life. Like I'd never been at that point. Um, and it was really, really mentally taxing to be at that point. Um, with the surgery, what was causing, what was causing the the recovery to be so rough? Do you know why? In hindsight, yeah. Or? So, ileus was like the main culprit, where basically my bowels. So your your body goes asleep when you have when you go under with anesthesia, and the mm-hmm. first, or I guess technically the second surgery that I had in October is where they create the actual J pouch with your small intestine. So they just sew it up and make kind of like a pseudo colon. Um, And it's a longer surgery. I personally don't remember how long it actually was. Um, But I guess my intestines took a little bit longer to wake up than normal. And the position that my surgeon, because I still had a temporary ileostomy at this point, but he pulled it from a different source of my small intestine. Mm -hmm. So the spot that he was pulling at was so much further than my original one that my body was under constant tension. And if I sat the wrong way, my bowels would kink up and I would get a blockage. Oh my God, I'm dog sitting right now. And they just decided. (laughs) That's okay. You're so rude. (laughs) Middle of a very serious story, Bella. Gosh. Um, So my bowels were just kinking up all the time. And so I would have like one decent day where I could eat like six oyster crackers. And I was like, I'm thriving. Yes. Epitome of health and wellness. And then like 30 minutes later, I would like sneeze wrong and my bowels would just kink up. And I would, I have like videos of my intestines just like making these gurgling noises. And it went on for six weeks to the point that they pushed my takedown the reversal up two weeks because of the point that I was at. Um, I had um, at-home fluids I would have to do. So I had a midline IV in my arm. So we were doing IV fluids at home and we were doing all these things because I physically couldn't eat. We had talked about um, TPN, so the uh, liquid Mm -hmm. nutrition and all these different things because my doctor, my surgeon said like, you are withering away. And I was like, "Mm -hmm, that's nice. So- now, how come how come it wasn't an option to just stay after the first surgery, stay where you were at, where you were doing so well? Was it necessary to do the next couple steps? Because you mm-hmm. said it was like a three part kind of surgery. Yeah. Were there were there reasons to not stay at that first after that first surgery? So, if I had stayed with the first surgery, I would just have I would just have an ostomy still. Um, their fear, Mm -hmm. which now I understand a lot more, um, is that my muscles would start to weaken if I hadn't used them. So if I wanted the option 
of living without Mm -hmm. the bag, I would have to do it sooner than later because it's kind of like, if you don't use it, you lose it. And now in hindsight, like my intestines, I don't know how to poop. Like I literally, I I don't know how to do it. My butt is falling out. It's something I'm working on. (laughs) We're going to the doctors. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a recent stress of mine actually. Um, But it's, it was kind of like, you need to either decide. And that was the, the decision was, you either keep the bag forever and we sew your butthole up or we give you the J pouch. Um, you try it out. And if it doesn't work, you go back to the bag. Okay. So yeah, you definitely yeah. wanted to keep the options open and see if, exactly. if that was a possibility. Okay. So then, so yeah. you had a definitely a rough recovery. <laughs> How did you finally get through that? And then did you end up having the third step? Is that done that third surgery? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, the, the reason I got through it, it was the holiday season. I The third step is take down the reversal where they um, close up your stomach. You don't have a stoma sticking out. You don't have an ostomy bag and you just use your butt. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it was, I, it was like four days before my birthday, I want to say, that the takedown was scheduled. So for me, it was like, just keep going. Like you have the time off from work. Like my dad was being so supportive. My boyfriend was being amazingly supportive. And for me, it was just like, you have no other choice. Like you're like at points, like I was really scared for my own life because I had no idea what was going on. My surgeon was so apologetic. He was like, I'm so sorry this is happening. Like Mm -hmm. he felt terrible and it was scary. But for me, it's always kind of like, in hindsight, I think it's easier to say of like, yeah, like you just like push through and you just stay strong. But there were days like I did not feel like myself. I think it was time that really got me through it because I would just go to sleep and wake up and hope that I would have a decent day. Like I wasn't, I wasn't myself. Like it was the hardest six to 12 weeks of my life because I just did not feel like myself. I felt like a shell of myself. My friends were confused at who I was at that point like Mm -hmm. my friend Erica was like doing my hair one day and she was like you're so boring I was like I can't talk I have no energy um for me I was scared that I would never get myself back that I would just I lost myself and I would never come back um so we did the takedown and I spent my 25th birthday the same way that I spent my first ever like moment into this world. So it was kind of mm-hmm. like full circle where I was in a hospital. I was crying and I was in diapers shitting myself. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was the best birthday present ever. I actually couldn't eat my birthday cake. Um, so happy birthday to my boyfriend on that one. And um, <laughs> yeah, they came in. They're like, here's some cake you can't eat. I was like, Aww. thanks. You just don't <laughs> give it to me then. Um, but yeah, for me, it's just kind of been those things where it's like, at that point you don't have the option like you don't have the option to give up like you're already in this Mm -hmm. point like you you've gone so far you literally can't turn around because you're gonna have to go through more surgery if you do it that way and just kind of trust it and be hopeful and um if I can't get through it myself just relying on the people around me which is very difficult because I'm a very proud person and I Mm -hmm. hate um feeling like a burden I hate feeling like uh I have to stop somebody else from what they're doing to help me. It's very, very difficult. So um, 
And it was difficult too, because I had been so like active up to that point. So I had been teaching spin and I started lifting again and I was working with a trainer two times a week and doing all of these things. And then your body just stops. And it, it was really, really, really difficult. And so for me, it was like, okay, I can't wait to get back to my active lifestyle. I can't mm-hmm. wait to do all this stuff. Um, so when I was finally healthy enough, um, I got the okay to teach off the bike and my cycling classes and that I had not sweat that much in like months, literally, like I was just standing there, but it was so hard. And then mm-hmm. eventually like just picking it back up and, and going more and more. Um, and now I'm teaching two to four times a week. I'll work out um, two to four times on the side, just lifting and doing strength and resistance. And so I finally, like it's taken me almost a year. Like I've had my mm-hmm. pouch for a year um, to get to the point where I feel like I'm actually invincible. Like I feel like for the most part, Back I on track. Yeah. And it's, it's like for the first time since before I got sick years and years and years ago, like I can actually do things and I can, I can eat healthy now. Like I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still haven't had popcorn in three years, but like, that's fine. I can eat like fruits and vegetables and, um, I meal prep and I try not to eat as much processed food. And for me, every single day, like if the workout that they give us and like the classes that I take, if that seems too difficult, I'm like, like, it sounds so silly, like saying it not in my head, but it's like, I just mm-hmm. tell myself like, come on copes, like you've got this, like push through, like you've been through worse. And I just have to like continue to tell myself these things because it's true. Like I've been through worse, like me not wanting to do like five burpees is nothing compared to the amount of pain that my body was in. And mm-hmm. now I have the ability to move and the ability to play and take care of my body. So why wouldn't you take that? Um, I think, and it's funny too, cause not a lot of my riders in my classes know my story. Um, mm-hmm. And part of me is like, mm-hmm, I have a secret. You don't know. But <laughs> the other part is like, I really want to tell them because like today, for instance, I thought I woke up with a blockage. I taught a 5.30 a.m. class and I practiced on the way to the gym what I was going to say to these people because I knew I was not going to be able to ride the whole class. Um, Mm -hmm. I had to teach off the bike for a little bit and that was really, really difficult for like the mental aspect of it of like I'm not strong enough to keep up. And also it's really awkward for me to stand next to a bike and just tell people to work out. Like it's just very difficult. So um, for me, it's like listening to my body and I didn't tell them the full story by any means. Like they still don't know. Um, And part of me wants to tell them the story, but at the same time, it's like, I don't want people looking at me differently or seeing like thinking anything, not that they would think anything less of me, but I mean, I've had people just, I've had doctors say like, we feel sorry for you. And I don't want to hear that from people where I want to have a leg up and be the confident, strong one and be the motivator and the, and I'm sure it might help on the inspirational level, but um, Mm -hmm. it's like one of those things, like I've been struggling whether or not I want to tell these writers this. Um, And then, yeah, it's, but I'll, I'll inspire them and, or I try to, I don't know if it actually works. 
Um, but just <laughs> telling them like you've been through worse, like these pains, these struggles, it's temporary. You have yeah. the option to either victimize yourself with these or create an opportunity and run with it. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think like this whole thing has just made me a really good spin instructor, not to chew my own horn, but maybe that's why I got sick, just so I can like have a decent story to to tell spin. <laughs> like now I can honestly though, I, I heard like somewhere um that if you have three less organs, you're way more aerodynamic. Um, <laughs> I also it's true. It is. It's, it's science. Also, I didn't know that this sounds so stupid. Your appendix is attached to your colon. So it took me nine months to realize that I don't have an appendix. And mm-hmm. so I had like that little like jabbing pain in your hip. And I was like, oh, it's my appendix. It's my appendix. After my surgery, don't have one. Like she's gone. So I'm like, crap. Like now what am I going to complain about? So I don't know. Like (laughs) something. Well, just taking up space. So tell me this. You've had really a lot of ups and downs Mm -hmm. in this journey and a lot of surgeries and mental struggles, but you've kept this incredible outlook. So where you're at now, what advice would you give to someone who might be facing this same kind of process or three-step surgery? What advice would you give to someone who might be facing this same kind of road? Yeah, because um, it's hard to just the highs and lows, like they're so, they come and go. I just got out of like a five, six-month depression. Like I'm finally out of the hole. Um, so now I'd see them like trying to figure out what I would tell myself like three, four weeks ago. Um, But in the situation where it's like, if someone is where I was three, four years ago, trying to decide if they want to get these surgeries or not, because the ostomies are so stigmatized, like even the things my family said to me and what my ex-boyfriend said to me and all these things, you have to remember, like, you are the one that's going to be living with this. These people making these comments don't have to live with it. This is your life. You have to look out for yourself. Um, at the end of the day, you are all that you have as like dark and sad as I may sound. Like you are consistent with yourself though. You will always have your back. So you need to mm-hmm. look out for yourself. Um, and it's kind of give and take like, yeah, you might look a little bit different on the outside or you might have a few scars or you might have to go through a recovery, but you might get your quality of life back. I'm not on any medications. Like I don't take anything Mm now. Um, Yeah, I have to drink a little bit extra water, but like water is good for you anyway. So it's kind of give and take and you really have to look at the pros and cons. Like I can't tell anyone what they should or shouldn't do with their life, but I would do this over again 100% with where I'm at with my health right now. Um, I have like this gnarly ass knife scar on my stomach that looks like I was like stabbed by some dude. Like that's dope. Mm -hmm. Like you should see the other guy. Like you just like have fun with it. Like God gives you what you can handle. And if you're at this point in your, your life and in this fork in the road where you're like, I don't know what to do. You need, I upon 100% intended, you need to go with your gut. You need to go with like what deep down is really, really what your mind keeps going back to. For me, it was like, I want this. Like, I want to mm-hmm. like, give myself a chance. Also, for me, like, 
I felt like there was more to my life than what I was living right then and there. And it's given me so many experiences that I don't think I would have taken um, had I not had the surgery. I went skydiving. I, I'm teaching spin. Like I, I did all these different things and I really don't think that I would be who I am today without that. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like looking at if you're at like such a low point right now, the only way you can go is up. Like you can't go any further than that. So take the opportunities and be grateful for the opportunities that you're being presented because not everyone is as lucky. That is some good advice, really good tips in there. And to just focus on being your own advocate Mm -hmm. and looking out for yourself. I think we definitely need to do that. Mm -hmm. So tell me, what are some of the other things, uh, some great advice there? You mentioned earlier that you've learned to listen to your body more now, um, like getting off the bike when you need to teach, if that's what you need to do for that mm-hmm. day. What are some of the other things you've learned? You mentioned stress was a trigger early on, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it still is. So how do you balance some of those um, stressful times? What else have you learned to do to listen to your body, to help ease symptoms? Kind of what what have you learned now looking back on your journey? Yeah, I think... For me, I I kind of look at it in two different sides. So you have the physical side of it and you have the mental side of it. I think for me, I'm doing so much better on the physical side. Um, mentally, I take a lot of my stress out on the people closest to me. And it's been really, really difficult because like I mentioned it earlier with not learning how to know how to go to the bathroom anymore. Um, It was like that feeling of rejection all over again when I first went to my doctor um, years ago and they said, nothing's wrong with you. And so it was Mm -hmm. like five, six months of this finally going on. Um, And for me, it's kind of managing your stress in the sense of don't put that out on anyone else. Nobody is here to take on your world. This is your world. You need to be able to handle it yourself. Um, And looking at it in the sense of like, this is temporary. I've been telling myself that for years of like, no matter what these hardships are, it will not last. Change is your only constant. So even if you can't think of anything to do, um, just know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Me personally, I sought out therapy. Like I'm seeing a therapist. I went on a social media detox, um, which I'm sure you knew because I didn't respond to my messages. Um, and I'm like <laughs> hopping back into it now. And even now, like seeing it, I close out of it when I start to compare myself to others. Um, it's really, yeah. really difficult. But just learning what your triggers are, for me, it's comparing others to myself and my journey, which isn't the same as anybody else. Um, it's yeah. feeling out of control and finding the ways that I can regain that mental control. Um, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and um, just journaling, not as often as I should be, but really just taking care of myself. It's I, I think of it like the airplane rule and the sense of like, you need to put your mask on before you can put anybody else is on themselves. Like you need to help yourself before you can help anyone else. So especially when it comes to like relationships or anything like that, or like work or anything, you need to make sure you're okay first. And it's really just checking in with yourself. 
respecting yourself, not being so hard on yourself and just knowing like at the end of the day, if it, it worse comes to worse, like this won't be forever. This is not your forever. This is just right now. And that was like the yeah. biggest thing for me was like, okay, like it will not, this will not be forever. It will eventually end at some point. Like just that pain and that struggle. It's such an important thing to always remember because mm-hmm. just as you've illustrated in your story, and I know I've had some, uh, you know, very down times and a lot of people have spiraled downward with this. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important to just remember this is temporary. Mm-hmm. And it's such a simple thing to just repeat to yourself and to keep reminding yourself that mm-hmm. that it's temporary. So I think that's it's very well said. Yeah. And it's mostly just like getting out of your own way and just like, yeah, stop believing all the self-doubt that you're giving yourself and telling yourself you're not enough. Like just stop it. Get out of your own way. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, yeah. Well said. I love that. So tell me a little bit, um, now that you're back on social media again, but (laughs) what, uh, what compelled you to first start sharing your story to begin with, I think it's been a couple of years that you've been sharing a little bit of your journey on mm-hmm. Instagram at very least. So what mm-hmm. compelled you to start becoming an advocate and sharing your story? Yeah. So um, funny enough, it actually started when I was in college and I had to take a social media class for my degree because I was taking advertising and public relations, which I do not do either of those aside from my own personal branding of mm-hmm. myself. Um, so we had to come up with a Facebook page, of just something. And for me, it's always been like, I'm most confident in the things that I know the most about. And for me, Mm -hmm. it was IBD. And so it was, I think the page was called look and swole IBD Mm -hmm. awareness, um, because like a swollen colon inflamed and I like the gym. So that was the original name of it was look and swole. And it was just such a douchebag name and I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. And so I just started, I would post like little memes on it for my class. And then once I finished that class, I didn't really go on it much until my surgery, my first surgery. And I just kind of want to document like what was going on. For me, it was, I got the sense that like with my family, for instance, I had rubbed some of these people the wrong way. Um, I Mm -hmm. still wanted people to know what was going on if they were curious because I know um, I had made friends in school that were concerned and just wanted to make sure I was okay. And I'm the worst at like texting mass amounts of individual people. And I was fundraising for another charity walk. So it was kind of all these different things bundled up into one, but it was like, I have a bag and this is what's going on. And here's my journey and follow me. And then I'll just be totally honest with you. My ego loved the attention. And I was like, great, this is awesome. I get to talk about myself. (laughs) Like, I love talking about myself. And um, (laughs) just the amount of support that I felt like I hadn't gotten before. And just knowing, like, it is okay. Like, you are loved. Like, for me, that that conversation with my ex was the hardest thing to hear was, like, nobody will ever love you if you do this. And for me, it's always been, like, obviously self-love is super important, but making sure that like, no, like that's not true. Like the amount of support that I've gotten, even just random people that I like had a class with will reach out Mm -hmm. and just say like, thank you like for sharing this. And that blows my mind. Um, So I eventually 
I think I made, so Shitstagram was the original Instagram page. And I made that a year after I had my bag. And I originally was going to be, these are all the places that I pooped. And then I realized I don't (laughs) travel enough, like, no. And so it was me just connecting with people and posting my story. And if I had a blockage, like tips and tricks and like, look at me, I'm skydiving with my bag. Obviously my bag was in the jumpsuit, but um, just all these different ways of showcasing, like you can have a life, like this doesn't have to consume you. This doesn't have to like run your life. Like you can have your life. And this is just a small facet of you, which is eventually why I actually stopped using Shitstagram because I felt like, I didn't want that to define me. Um, It's Mm -hmm. still up and active though, because it does have like my journey from my last two surgeries up there and and everything like that. Um, But eventually just wanted to showcase on my own personal page of like, these are all the facets of my life. Like, yes, I teach spin and I love a good pun and I like banana bread and donuts. And I also don't know how to poop properly. Like all these different things like bundled up into one and that's me. Um, but it's more so just being vulnerable and sharing your story. Um, I know like in your episode about yourself, not that I was totally stalking you or anything, mm-hmm. you were talking about <laughs> with like why you created your podcast was because you hadn't yeah. seen anything like it. Um, yeah. I guess heard anything like it. Wow. Five senses. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was going with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not. I could totally see that from my side of the computer, but, um, <laughs> For me, it was just, I just want to be honest with people. I feel like social media nowadays, like, and it's always been like this of like, I'm just going to put my best parts of my life out there. I'm not going to like show the hard things and the shitty things. But like, if you don't do that, people are going to feel alone. They're going to feel like they're the only one going through something. And for me, if I'm just honest and just saying like, I had some really bad anxiety today over X, Y, and Z. Or I'm feeling this way. And it doesn't even have to be that you have a J pouch as well and that you have felt exactly what I felt. For me, it's taught me a lot of empathy and just patience. Mm -hmm. Because for a while, I was like, you don't, you wouldn't understand because you've never been here. And I was very, very stubborn. And it's something I'm still working on now. But just being more empathetic to, yeah, you might not have had the experience that I had with these surgeries but you understand what it's like to feel anxious about something or to feel nervous or stressed out or depressed. And we can relate on that level and just being honest and raw about that. It it just kind of, for me, I feel like I can help people, but then when people reach out to me, I feel like it's helping me as well. So it's like a give and take for sure. It definitely is. I've noticed the same thing. And I know pretty much everybody else that I interview says the same thing too, of just having that community where it really is a win-win where we help each other, but we also help ourselves because it really Mm -hmm. is comforting to know that even though it's not exactly the same thing, that you're going through a lot of similarities or Mm -hmm. facing similar emotions. And it it really is comforting to know that, that we're not alone and we never yeah. have to feel alone. So, Exactly. Especially like with my family and, and my friends and my boyfriend, like they don't, obviously like IBD isn't as prevalent for them. And just to be able to have like the friends who will talk about like when I had my bag, like these just shit explosions or like bag mm-hmm. leaks or like all these monstrosities where it's like everybody else would probably think it's like disgusting or like would feel bad laughing about it. But when you've been there... <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Like it's so much easier to laugh about it. And like we would name our stomas. Like mine was Stan the Stoma, and he was <laughs> a legend. And then we have Todd, who Todd is awesome, and he's attached to Veronica, who's fantastic. And there's you, there's this whole community that you just never even knew existed. Um, because the thing is, if you hide away from all of that, you're not going to be able to connect with these people. We wouldn't have been able to connect if we had both been hiding this stigmatized disease. So it's get yourself out there. You'll meet these amazing people, whether it's online or in person. And it just, I don't know. It's, I'm as twisted and dark as it sounds like I'm really grateful that I have colitis because it genuinely shaped me into who I am. And it gave me the opportunities that I've been given and I wouldn't be here and where I am and who I am without it. Very well said. And on that note, if people do want to follow you and connect with you, where do they do that now? Mm, so right <laughs> now, my the main Instagram page that I use is Al Copes. So it's one word. It's A-L-K-O-P as in pizza, E-S. Um, it's on private right now, but I might switch it off. I, it's, it's always on and off with me, but, um, (laughs) I'll put the link in the show notes. And then, uh, if, uh, if you feel like you want to accept people to follow you, you can. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be my own bouncer. I'll let everyone in. So, um, yeah, definitely. I, after my spin classes, I have like this rush of endorphins and I always feel like I'm like, Tony Robbins and I have my own like stories that I just go on rants um, and just the dogs that I'm sitting and one of them's staring at me and she's terrifying, but I love her so much. Um, and just stupid little things about my life and colitis sometimes and, and everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, it's, it's all there. So that's, that's awesome. where you can stalk me. Perfect. <laughs> I'll make sure to let everyone yeah. know where they can stalk you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, make like celery and stock. I don't know. I just yeah. So <laughs> so this hour has gone by super fast. Is there anything that I did not ask that you wanted to share with our listeners today? Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I go on tangents. I remember <laughs> like. I tried writing out talking points before this and I think I hit maybe three out of like 80 million. I'm a, I'm all over the place. I'm going to have to scattered. bring you back for another episode so we can hit the other. Uh... <laughs> I won't say no. Once again, like I mentioned, I like hearing myself talk. It's why I have a job where I get to do it for an hour and get paid for it at least twice a week. Um, I don't know. I think honestly, like don't be afraid to read. Like if you're listening to this and you're like, hmm, I don't like the sound of your voice, but I want to talk to you. Find me on Instagram, message me. Like I will respond to you. Like if you have questions or like anything, if like someone you love is going through this stuff, like, please, like I love being able to help people and I love being able to be there for people and just hearing how people are doing. Like I love helping people. Um, and it just makes me feel better when I get to do that. So if there's anything I forgot that anyone listening to is curious about, just reach out, let me know. And I'll try and rein it in and be more concise, but like no promises. <laughs> you might get wrapped in for, you know, five, 10, 20, 60 like, minutes. I might, just, like, I might just like attach you at my hip or just like shove you in my pocket and carry you around with me. So I can just continue to <laughs> Who knows? Contact Allie at your own risk. No. <laughs> yeah, honestly, though, like, you're welcome. At least I'm not, like, charging them by the hour, which I totally should. <laughs> Just in spin class. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, yeah, you're right, huh? Hmm. All right. 
Well, Allie, (laughs) thank you so much for talking with me today. This has been a blast. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and continuing to raise awareness for IBD. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, I'm super grateful that you brought me on. I'm I'm really excited that I got to do this. I feel so cool. Um, and, and I think it's awesome what you're doing, just being able to get people to share their stories and connect and, and everything like that. So you have a new subscriber. Woohoo! <laughs> awesome. Well, share it with your friends. No. <laughs> oh, of course. Well, thank you. I do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Crohn's Fitness Food or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.cronesfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.